Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, theorists. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about a very contentious subject. Uh, we are going to be talking a bit about the reserve list, but probably not the the take you usually hear. Um, <laughs> but before we get into it, let me just give it a little bit of backstory. Um, for those who aren't familiar with it, the reserve list is a list of 571 cards that Wizards of the Coast has decided not to reprint in physical form. The list was created due to backlash when the Chronicles reprint set tanked the value of cards that had previously commanded a, a high price tag. So things like, you know, Nickel Bolas, Stack and Blackblade, they got reprinted in the set and they went from being, you know, $50 or whatever to almost nothing. In order to sort of assuage the, 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 the fears of people, uh, like of their cards losing value, um, the Wizards developed an official reprint policy. So I'm going to read an excerpt from that right now. Reserved cards will never be printed again in a functionally identical form. A card is considered functionally identical to another card if it has the same card type, subtypes, abilities, mana cost, power, and toughness. No cards will be added to the reserve list in the future. No cards from the Mercadian Mask set and later sets will be reserved. In consideration of past commitments, however, no cards will be removed from this list. A previous version of this policy allowed premium versions of cards on the reserve list to be printed. Starting in 2011, no cards on the reserve list will be printed in either premium or non-premium form. So actually, there has been a little bit of change to the reserve list over the years. Initially, it included uncommons, but later, later on, all uncommons were taken off the list. So for example, clone was originally on the reserve list. Uh, but got taken off because it was printed as an uncommon in alpha and beta. And then uh, they did around 2010, they did a little bit of experimentation where they had some reserve list cards as reprints in premium products because there was a loophole in the reserve list that allowed withers to print premium versions of reserve list cards. But they ended up closing that loophole after there was some considerable backlash. But currently... Wizards doesn't really seem to have any interest in changing the reserve list. And in recent years, their prices have skyrocketed from a combination of increased demand for older cards, uh, in part by commander players, and increased speculation by folks who see reserve list cards not as game pieces, but as commodities whose supply is permanently locked in its current state. Reserve list cards that see significant play in older formats, including commander, now command hundreds of dollars and create tension in the community between those who can afford them and those who cannot, as well as between those who are willing to proxy cards and those who are not. In today's episode, we're going to be exploring a hypothetical solution to the, the angst and conflict caused by the continued legality of cards whose supply can no longer meet demand. Uh, we're going to ask the question, what would Commander look like if all the cards on the reserve list were banned? Yep, just flat band. <laughs> yeah, we're we're not necessarily advocating for this position, but we just want to. We're looking through the data. We're we're going through um, EDH rec and sort of seeing what the effect might be. Yeah, yeah. So no panic. We're not <laughs> saying, hey, like rules committee, do this thing. We're saying, what if this thing? So, so yeah, just calm. Take a deep breath and let's <laughs> let's dive into this. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but before we do, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon. 
If you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Let's start this discussion of the reserve list by looking at the legendary creatures on the reserve list. There are 59 legendary creatures on the reserve list, and although a lot of them are, are overcosted, underpowered, or, or kind of boring by the standards of modern legendary creatures, I think some of them do lend themselves to unique archetypes, and, and the format would be poorer for their loss. But I definitely want to reiterate that the majority of legends on the reserve list are not exciting. Yeah, they're Lady Orcas and Ramirez de Pietros and Barktooth Warbeards. Yeah. And, and they're not anything anyone is interested in building around. Yes. So I'd say like vast majority of them, not great. But we're going to be looking at the top 10 reserve list legends on EDH rec. These are the ones that are most played, most interesting. Um, and we'll start with number one, which is Feldegriff. Um, for those who aren't familiar with it, Feldegriff is one white, blue, green for a 4-4 legendary hippo. It has white, it gains flying until end of turn, an opponent gains two life. Blue, return Feldegriff to its owner's hand, target opponent may draw a card. For green, trample until end of turn, uh, target opponent creates a 1-1 green hippo creature token. Uh, so, so this is seeing play in... Or, or rather, it's leading 597 decks on EDH rec. So that's a that's a considerable number. Um, definitely one among the more popular Bant commanders. And what is it used for? Do you think there's any good substitutions? How, how would the format change if Feldegriff were no longer available? <laughs> yes. So uh, Feldegriff has, I think, held this title since Commander really got widespread adoption as the group hug <laughs> commander mm -hmm. as one of the primary group hug builds and the edh rec list is just a lot of <laughs> a lot of that the newest card added to it is from strixhaven you can probably guess what it is it's a secret rendezvous so, of course, yeah. so who would have thought it's a lot of give everyone cards so that might be a dictator crew fix or like a Quain from Commander Legends or a Kami of the Crescent Moon or Prosperity, which is X blue sorcery. Everyone draws X. So really what people are doing was they saw this hippo, who's kind of funny, this purple hippo with wings. They saw a bunch of abilities that give things to your opponents and they went, oh, what if I just like put more <laughs> into this list? What if I like do even more of that? I think nowadays there are a lot more ways to leverage the things that Feldegriff is giving away to people. It's kind of like a group hug, haha, but also I'm going to kill you now, whether that's like with the folio of fancies after a big prosperity or whatever it might be, a temple bell combo. Definitely there's a point in time when Feldegriff was quite literally just like, what if we all had a bunch of mana and cards <laughs> and one ones? Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, I, I think that this definitely was unique for a very long time, um, mm -hmm. but they've printed some more group huggy commanders in the interim. Um, yeah. The one that really stands out to me is Kaneos and Tiro of Miletus. This is actually far more popular than Feldegriff. Like Feldegriff, as I mentioned, has 632 decks on EDH rec. Um, 
Kaneos and Tiro of Miletus have 1,868, so nearly three times as many. So, yeah. uh, and, and just looking at like how people tend to build the deck, uh, it's a lot of the same themes. Um, yeah. Secret Rendezvous also making an appearance in Kaneos and Tiro of Miletus. <laughs> um, but a lot of the same cards like Temple Discovery, Temple Bell, Prof- uh, Dictative Crufix, Howling Mine, Rites of Flourishing. So I think that if Feldegriff were to be banned, I think a lot of people would just break out the mountains and uh, yeah. make do from there. Yeah, I think people would just like change up the mana base, put in some of the red cards. Because I don't actually think like Canaris and Tiro are running like too many crazy red cards. I think they're yeah. running like just a few. It's <laughs> like just a I see like Humble Defector, uh, Zerta Ancient. But you're right, there aren't a whole lot in there. Yeah, which is also one of my one of my beefs with the four color cards, but that's a <laughs> that's a different episode. Um yeah. I mean, people would be really sad. I there's like a mix of feelings when you sit across from a Feldegriff player for the first time. Cause you go like, Oh cool, a Feldegriff, and then you go like, Wait, what are you <laughs> are, are you just pure group hug? Or are you gonna combo? <laughs> like, I know. Yeah, like we don't need to get into group hug too much, but yeah. uh, it's it's definitely like either ends in a combo or just like king makes. But yeah, yeah, exactly. I think people would be sad, but I think life would go on, and I think that the numbers show that life has already kind of moved past Feldergriff. And and again, like some of this might be because these are reserved list cards, and they're like forty plus dollars a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. But it also could just be that like people wanted to run Zerta <laughs> ancient mm-hmm. and Kanaos and Tiro gave them an outlet, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I think Kanaos and Tiro is really a, a better design for the archetype because yes, it mm-hmm. does give things away, but you still benefit the most. Mm-hmm. Whereas like with Feldegriff, often the things you're giving away with your commander are better than the things you're getting. If you're a Feldegriff player, let us know your typical play experience. If, <laughs> if, uh, you've gotten people to get mad at you or stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. I think like seeing what this deck as the format is interesting, like the next decks. Cause we got, we got a bunch that we're going to talk about. Oh yeah. This one, I think honestly, I think it's hurt. It's, it's loss would hurt the format a lot. Yeah. This is actually, I, I agree with, I think this would be the saddest one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this next one is Karn Silver Golem. It is five mana for a 4-4 legendary artifact creature golem. Whenever he blocks or becomes blocked, uh, he gets minus four plus four until end of turn. Uh, and he also has one target non-creature artifact becomes an artifact creature with power and toughness each equal to its uh, converted mana co- or mana value until end of turn. I think this would be a major loss for the format. As I said, this is actually the third most popular colorless commanders of the colorless commanders. And they're, and it's also one of the more unique ones. Five of the eight colors commanders are legendary Eldrazi of different flavors, but you know they all kind of have a similar play style. Yeah, uh, Karn is one of the more unique archetypes represented among the colorless decks, and because um, you know he has got he's got some combo potential. Uh, if you have like a Voltaic construct and like a big mana rock, you can get infinite mana. Um, there's just a lot of neat things you can do with him and it would be unfortunate to lose him. Uh, yeah. That said, there are only 362 Karn decks on EDH rec. So in terms of number, it's not a lot, but like 
it's still one of the more interesting options in the color identity. I was going to say like a long while ago, I played someone's card deck and the versatility of it was always kind of amazing to me because like, yeah, you're kind of supposed to combo off with the Basalt Monolith and Voltaic Construct. But I won that game by just like animating a Darksteel Forge <laughs> and just hitting someone for nine. So like uh, the... And that and that was before a lot of the new. That was before like Foundry Inspector existed. That was uh, like right around like uh, Scars Block. So like mm-hmm. we'd just gotten like some cool things like Unwinding Clock and whatever and Shimmermer. But like a lot of the things that we're seeing in Karn decks now that like really helped it like um, <laughs> wastes. <laughs> mm, yeah, it did not exist at the time, and yet the deck was still like very functional, very cool, very fun. And with the addition of Strixhaven giving like environmental sciences and like uh, introduction to annihilation so that you have a little bit better option to like remove things that are like kind of thorn in your side. I think the deck is is really cool now. Yeah, one like addition in more recent years that I thought is is added a lot for, to the deck is um the introduction of vehicles because just being able to like animate all your vehicles easily like you don't have to really worry about tapping creatures like that's another direction you can take the deck and and Mm -hmm. i think that's exciting yeah i've definitely carned a parhelion too and Mm -hmm. uh that feels pretty good so nice um but yeah this is i think would be my vote for like biggest loss out of all of the creatures we're going to talk about because we're going to we're going to talk about some more that are fan favorites if you know about them if you play with them but uh as the numbers are going to show they're not <laughs> the most popular i think karn is the the one on the list where like i still have very fond memory i think most people have like pretty fond memories of karn and, mm-hmm. and things you can do with karn so it's unfortunate like I would also recommend that listeners take some of these deck numbers with a grain of salt because there is like a suppressive effect of like the the low supply and, and high value of these cards. Like Karn is currently sitting at around 40 bucks. So that's going to that's gonna impact the number of decks it sees play on EDH rec. Like if it was, you know, a five dollar card, a ten dollar card would it perhaps be even more popular? Would it be higher in the rankings? Maybe. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. That's just the question about all these reserveless cards and, and kind of the impetus of the episode. Yeah. Uh, what is the next commander we're going to be talking about? So this next one is Selenia Dark Angel. So Selenia was part of like the Crovax Miri storyline and they gave her a card in Tempest. She's a 3-3 flying angel. At the time, she was a legend, so it had to write out that she was an angel. <laughs> and she has the ability, pay to life, return Selenia to its owner's hand. She's a 3-3 three, three for 5 that flies that don't die too good, as long as you got the life to pay for her. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that's that's something, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that... I don't think the format is going to be hurting too much from her loss. So, she's... Not even among the the top ten um, Orzov commanders on EDA track, she's I think barely in the top twenty. Um, only two hundred and eighty four decks, and really, she the main thing she offers is just a way to control your life total. If you sort of see like how this deck is being built, 
Uh, it's a lot of things like um, repay in kind, near death experience, axis of mor- mortality, reverse the sands. So things that uh, either care about or that basically like allow you to switch life totals with your opponents, um, win the game when you have a, life, a low life total, uh, or just make everyone's life total equal to the lowest life total. Mm-hmm. So I think that there are already a lot of ways to do that in commander i don't know if you necessarily need to devote your commander slot to it there's just so much unrestricted life payment and a lot of it is pretty good with things like um i mean necropotence for example yeah even like a bolus's citadel yeah or like a villas uh broker of blood even just greed or like one of the Erebos's, like Erebos one you can pay life pretty good in uh in black and commander you know yeah um she is notable as one of the few black white angel like legendary angels but i think like liessa has kind of eclipsed her like liessa is now the third most popular orzov commander and i think you'd probably gravitate gravitate towards that if uh black white angels was something you really wanted to do yes i agree with that i think just the selenia kind of just had her place because of like the void that was there mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily that she filled the role particularly well it was just that she did it well enough so i think as we get more commanders that like liesa who actually progressed the game forward who actually like uh give people a little bit more of a solid handhold who are like a little bit better rate for the mana cost um <laughs> we're gonna see some like an even further decline on these reserve list cards. So, yeah, that said, like, uh, do you want to read off the next one? Yes. And this one, actually, there's a lot to, um, there's a lot to talk about because, uh, in theory, she's incredibly popular. This is the sliver queen. Mm -hmm. Sliver queen is a seven, seven legendary sliver for Wooberg, white, blue, black, red, green. And she has the activated ability to generic, put a sliver token into play it's a one one colorless creature so you just create a one one colorless sliver token for two mana um (laughs) so there's a lot of reasons these numbers are deflated one is that there are probably better sliver commanders but the other is that currently she's sitting at around 500 (laughs) (laughs) so if you wanted to build a sliver queen you gotta give up some of that rent you know you gotta yeah you gotta sell sell the motorcycle sell Mm -hmm. the cow Um, yeah break open the piggy bank for sure exactly so so it's kind of interesting to talk about this i think the biggest thing is that the first point there are better sliver commanders now Mm -hmm. and so that's kind of eclipsed her but she inhabited a few spaces she i mean she was definitely a sliver commander but she also i don't know if you want to talk about she could combo yeah (laughs) yeah i definitely see her as more of a combo commander than a sliver commander um she doesn't really mechanically benefit slivers in the way that (laughs) you know giving them cascade or indestructible or letting you search them out or uh being a coat of arms for slivers any of the other options just seem better at furthering the sliver game plan what sliver queen really does is works quite well with mana echoes uh, so that's an enchantment <laughs> that whenever a creature enters the battlefield, you may add an amount of colorless mana equal to the number of creatures you control that share a creature type with it. So 
you know, the first activation pays for itself, and then all future activations of Sliver Queen will net you mana as they are producing slivers, and then you get infinite colorless mana, infinite slivers, and you just got to win the game from there. And there you go. Yeah, it shouldn't yeah. be too hard. <laughs> so if Sliver Queen were to be banned like that, uh, that combo would... I mean, the format would lose that combo, but if you're playing Sliver Queen more sort of fairly, just like as a Sliver Commander, there are so many next best options you could use or or so many better options you could use. And, and yeah. I think that um, the format would just kind of absorb those yeah. decks pretty easily. Again, there's the price tag thing, but I, I do think most of that is just, if I'm going to build a Sliver list, I'm like, I know personally, I would I would just do the first Sliver. Like, mm-hmm. That thing is insane. <laughs> so, like, there's just better places to put that energy, and there's also just a million ways to combo with mana echoes. So, I, I think the wind has kind of been taken out of Sliver Queen's sails, and she kind of holds a place in people's heart because she is like so iconic and like big, splashy, rare from the days before. But yeah, I don't know if the format would be hurting too much with her exclusion yeah i feel the same way this is angus mckenzie oh boy i'm gonna need to look at the oracle text <laughs> yeah. I, th- I thought i could muddle through it but now let, let me just make sure this does what i think it does angus strikes again <laughs> <laughs> all right uh so angus mckenzie uh white blue green for a 2-2 legendary creature human cleric uh white blue green tap prevent all combat damage to be dealt this turn so he's a fog on a stick yeah, so Angus McKenzie's currently seeing play in about 240 lists on EDH rag, 238 technically. Not a super high adoption rate. And again, like the Sliver Queen, that may or may not be because he's pushing about $600 on TCG <laughs> player currently. So, uh, you know, let's uh, take that with a grain of salt too. We're mm-hmm. going to be uh, generous <laughs> as we go through this. <laughs> But I don't really think there's that many just straight up fog commanders. No, um, I don't yeah. think there's any other ones. Really. Yeah, he is unique in that sense. Um, mm-hmm. And and how are people building him? What does like the Angus deck look like? Well, it has a new archetype that apparently has jumped up in the rankings, which I'll talk about in a second. But because it's not super highly represented, but it it is basically pillow fort mm-hmm. is kind of the idea. And then recently, it looks like people have gotten the uh, very wise idea to put in a bunch of planeswalkers too <laughs> because uh if your planeswalkers aren't taking damage then uh they're they're just taking up uh, yeah. and up uh so that's pretty cool <laughs> yeah i'm also seeing like a little bit of enchantress support here mm-hmm. um i'm seeing things like academy rector i'm seeing things like um verduran enchantress and herald of the pantheon satyr enchanter so it looks like um, uh, there's a couple archetypes that are associated with this guy. But if he were to leave the format, do you think there's something that could like easily fill his role? No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I think they could definitely print something that could fill the role. I think that a straight up tap to fog they've been scared of. They're more cautious with um 
They're more cautious printing cards these days that make the game take a lot longer, Mm -hmm. (laughs) especially on a commander. um, Nils be damned, you know, the new white guy. But I mean, I think that's because he doesn't, he doesn't actually protect you. That's what I think. (laughs) That's why I think he's there. So I, I don't really think there would be necessarily a an easy replacement but i think also the the reason that he's so varied across like themes is in large part because he doesn't really he doesn't give you like a super strong handhold to Mm -hmm. build off of like fogging once a turn for three mana like that's an investment you got to keep three mana up so there's a lot of instants in a lot of these lists but also like what do i do with that i think the planeswalkers is a pretty cool angle but it could also just be like, well, I'm going to just not play creatures. So all my enchantments and enchantress things go off, but I don't have to worry about the scariest guy at the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I, I the thought processes are there. These archetypes are being siphoned off into other places. I feel like every color combination is getting a, a uh, super friends commander mm-hmm. uh, these days. Like we're going to, we're going to complete the, the what 32 card cycle (laughs) at some point (laughs) yeah i think that there are definitely like other commanders for sort of the other commanders in um bant for like the pillow fort strategy i know like a lot of tuvasa lists go that direction a lot of estrid lists and i think that there's other ways to support planeswalkers as well I mean, it's definitely a unique ability but there's other ways to synergize with the things that he synergizes with yeah, exactly. That's that's the the key thing I think to take home with him. And and I mean I I think the worst part about Angus leaving the format was that people would miss Tim. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like like you you look at Angus McKenzie and everyone's like, "Oh, Tim, Tim." <laughs> and like that's that's like the prevailing feeling towards Angus McKenzie. It isn't like, "Oh, what a cool deck." It's like this kind of like meme about the yeah. <laughs> the card itself that people <laughs> are really into, and that that I mean that kind of would be sad to lose, but it's I don't think it would harm the format. All right, this next commander is Hazazon Tamar, four white, green, red, uh, and oh, okay, I'm um you know I really should just be checking the oracle text on all <laughs> the these. Yeah, all right, Hazazon Tamar, uh, four white green red for a 2-4 legendary creature human warrior when it enters the battlefield create x11 sand warrior creature tokens that are red green and white at the beginning of your next upkeep where x is the number of lands you control at that time and when he leaves the battlefield exile all sand warriors this is a a huge token generating spell in the command zone it's like an avenger of zendikar ish in the command zone it's a very weird ability. Um, the weirdest trigger ever. <laughs> yeah, uh, like you're not getting your army until the next turn, and like unless you've got a haste granter, not attacking with it until the turn after that. <laughs> uh, so it's like suspend two, sort of. But what do you what do you think of this commander? Uh, how popular is it, and what it, what does it do? How are people building it? Yeah, it's it's roughly as popular as Angus. Um, it has about 200 decks on EDH Rec. Um, the price tag is uh, considerably lower. It's only about like 250 on 
TCG player to 350 on like Card Kingdom or like probably like a near mint one. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's good. The list itself is mm, <laughs> lands, I guess, is the archetype. It's like lands and tokens, and and I do remember back in the the era of Prime Time, Primeval Titan, uh, seeing someone's hazes on deck, and basically what it would do is it would just ramp and ramp and ramp and ramp and ramp and ramp, till it it could like play and bounce has on like three times in a turn or like mm-hmm. play sack play sack play sack three times in a turn that way the trigger was off the board like the the destroy all the sand warriors is gone mm-hmm. and then <laughs> you'd get like 40 something tokens or or more than that a lot of the time like 70 something tokens at the next uh next time the the trigger checked and that was definitely like an interesting uh <laughs> experience mm-hmm. <laughs> that was something i haven't really seen other lists do in the same way yeah it is um a really interesting unique mechanic um you know avenger of zendikar is just such a popular card and so to have this like approximation of it in the command zone uh i you know i can see why it's super appealing um and it's hard to say like what would take this like how these decks would sort of fold into the rest of the format if the reserve list were to be banned mm-hmm. there's just not a clear analog um to what hazes on tamar is doing yeah so it it might be a little tricky to um make that work this these this might be one of the more unique decks that we're losing i think the deck closest to this in theory is something like a marath like will of the wild um kind it's not the same but like marath decks usually need to ramp to get Mar- oh and let me i guess i'll read marath marath is a zero zero elemental beast for red green white it enters the battlefield with a number of plus one plus one counters equal to how much mana you spent to cast it so it's kind of like building on the space of uh commander tax and then it has X. X can't be zero. Remove X plus one plus one counters from Marith. Choose one. Put those counters on another creature. Marith deals X damage to any target or create an XX elemental creature token. So things I've seen with Marith, this is another Mana Echoes commander. Um, if you have like a Cathar's Crusade and a Mana Echoes, you just go infinite and all your guys are huge or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you tend to ramp a lot because, like, playing Marith, dumping the tokens into like one ones or a three three or something like that. That's like the closest facsimile I think to Hezazon. But again, it's it's still like a very different experience. <laughs> like the the ways in which Hezazon is interacting with cards is unlike anything else that we have. Like knowing that there's like. 50 sand warriors that are going to enter the battlefield and then from hazes on like playing and bouncing a few times in a turn and then like they play an impact tremors and you're like what are we gonna do about this yeah um it's a very different experience so yeah i think this would be a pretty sad loss yeah agreed uh Um, definitely would be curious to see like what the number of decks would be if it didn't command that kind of price tag if it wasn't on the reserve list yeah exactly yeah yeah 
All right, this next card is uh, something I believe you have some familiarity with. Yes, this is something I actually am thinking about putting back together now that we got the stupid <laughs> burn spell. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so this is uh, Zerlin of the Claw. Uh, Zerlin of the Claw is a 3-4 Viachino Shaman for 5 mana. Costs 3 and 2 red. Uh, they have just one activated ability, one red red tap. Search your library for a dragon permanent card. Put that card onto the battlefield, then shuffle. That dragon gains haste until end of turn. Exile it at the beginning of the next end step. So this is basically uh, I summon a dragon, it comes over and hits you, and then it flies away forever. Mm -hmm. Um, Except except it's not. This deck kind of ends up running a bunch of... um, a bunch of tech that is more common now. They're, they've printed more things that are are pretty good with it. But like at the time, it was really unique. So um, let's say you have a Telgelad Stylus, which is a card that almost no deck wants. <laughs> it's not very good. It is one mana artifact. It has tap, put target permanent you own on the bottom of your library. <laughs> so normally that's not, that's not very good. But when every turn I'm uh, laying down the beats with my, like, nowadays a Dracuseth or like mm-hmm. a Balefire Dragon, like, they're not going to be able to keep anything on the battlefield. Um, the same is true with, like, Udvara Hellkite or, um, like, Scourge of Valkus. There's there's just so many good mono-red dragons that um, you love to see over and over and over again. So the list has a bunch of ways to kind of cheat the trigger like keep them around like conjurer's closet exiles them the game goes oh they've been exiled and then it comes back and it goes oh hey the dragon and you get to keep it sundial of the infinite this was my first deck i ever played that like really utilized sundial of the infinite and made me go like oh wow this card's really cool (laughs) it's just two mana artifact one tap and the turn activate this ability only during your turn Uh, and that exiles any triggers that may or may not be on the stack at that point or it exiles the triggers that are on the stack at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so that exile your dragon trigger. Oh, well, nope. Sundial turns over. Really is kind of like an all or nothing list. Um, Rakdos Lord of Riots uh, was very similar to Zerlin of the Claw, where either the table knows what you're doing and just won't let you keep your commander down, or you just get to just beat the crap out of people. <laughs> <laughs> and it's and it's pretty... Um, pretty exciting so yeah um all of this being said i think that there's better dragon commanders Mm. (laughs) you know like i think at the end of the day um there's just tribal dragons is is uh such a common theme yeah it's it's a an embarrassment of riches you know like they just so many options (laughs) (laughs) so many ways to go about it so many colors you could possibly play in yeah there's even a a commander not only are there just so many good options for like red x dragon commanders but there's also like a five color commander that just does a better job of what zerlin does with scion of the ur dragon you're it's just (laughs) easier faster um and you get four other colors so there's that too yeah, and you get you get to play all the dragons because they uh, definitely will print dragons in not just red, you know. Yep. Um. So yeah, definitely. Um. If you look at like 
the dragon commanders on EDH reg, it's a pretty steep drop off. You got you're close to three thousand lists with the Ur Dragon. The Scion is coming in next at six hundred, yeah. and then many many cards later, you got your Zerlin at one hundred sixty lists mm-hmm. on EDH reg. So obviously, people are looking at these options and going, "Oh, well, I just can do more <laughs> mm-hmm. with these other guys," and they're right. One note too is we got Lathless Dragon Queen, which is yeah. newer cheaper and kind of easier to cheat because you do get a lot of changelings and stuff like that so i feel like if zerlin was gone the world would be okay <laughs> yeah i i agree does not seem like an enormous loss mm-hmm. oh god this next guy <laughs> god. uh i'll read him off uh, all right this is lord of tresserhorn uh so it's one blue black red for a 10-4 uh legendary creature zombie when it enters the battlefield, pay oh God, pay two life, sacrifice two creatures, and target opponent draws two cards. Uh, and it has black regenerate. So do you have any uh, experience with this card? I know that this was oh, yes. a, a bit more popular back when the format was young. Um, but t- tell us yes. about this guy. So Lord of Tresserhorn, 10-4, Mother Trucker. Um, this guy... Basically, what you're trying to do is you're trying to sneak in your huge beater for four mana because that that trigger on ETB is no joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like You don't want to have to actually sit there and be like, okay, well, I got my reassembling skeleton and I got this uh, thrill token or citizen token or whatever. <laughs> and then and then uh, I'm, I'm going to pay two life and then you can draw two cards. <laughs> Like, you don't actually want to do that. What you want to do is you want to have a Torpor Orb down, and then you want to have your Lightning Greaves out, and then you want to hit someone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you want to give the Lord Tressorhorn double strike. It is a zombie, so like you get this like weird incidental zombie tribal, because 11 power is a two-shot kill. Um, so just any anything on the battlefield that pumps its ability its power by a little bit and anything that gives it double strike uh, anything that gives you two combats anything that gives it infect anything that gives it infect there's uh so many ways to kill with one shot with the lord treasure horn so lord of treasure horn is uh i guess the hipster's noob tube commander if you want to just one shot somebody and a flying dragon seems too easy uh lord of treasure horn's got your back you know <laughs> I'll say that um, I kind of think that like most Voltron commanders are basically the same. Like yep. if two Voltron commanders in the same color identity don't really differ that much uh, in what they're running, like you're, you're trying to give them evasion, you're trying to give them haste, you're trying to pump their, like reduce their clock. A lot of the cards you're going to be running are mostly the same. So I think that if Lord of Tressorhorn and the rest of the reserve list cards were no longer in the format, I think there's just some easy options. Like if you want to use your black and red Voltron enablers, then you can just kind of switch into Zergo Helm Smasher. If you want to use your blue and red enablers, you can switch into Ruhan of the Fomori. There's just so many different ways out there to accumulate commander damage on your opponents. Honestly, like a lot of the lists that I'm seeing now as we've been scrolling through this episode are are really not playing into the like cheating the trigger stifling the trigger they're playing into like giving yourself enough guys to sacrifice i'm seeing like so much 
zombie tribal. And if yeah. that's what you're doing, there's also better commanders for that. Yeah, I, I really don't think like the whole point is that it's a four mana ten four to mm-hmm. me at least. I'm like, oh wow, that is a lot of power for a little mana. <laughs> yeah. Always remember the the first time you get uh one shotted to that guy. <laughs> um but I guess could I move on to the next one? Yeah, go for it. So this next card is uh I always forget it's uh legendary. It is skeleton ship. Um, so skeleton ship is a zero three skeleton for five mana, three blue black. When you have no islands, sacrifice skeleton ship. And it has tap, put a minus one, minus one counter on target creature. It shrinks things slowly over time. It is a, a Demir commander. Um, do you have anything to, to say about skeleton ship? <laughs> not, not really. Honestly, like just sort of looking at the the cards that are showing up on its page on EDH rec, I see a lot of proliferate, um, yeah. a bit of untapping, uh, and just like things that synergize with minus one, minus one counters like nest of scarabs or necroskitter or blowfly infestation. But really, if you're trying to do like a minus one, minus one counter theme there, there's better commanders for it. Like Hapatra is very, very good. And of course, you know, you've got, I think the number two commander of all time, Atraxa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Atraxa. I think that if skeleton ship were the leave, I mean, it's honestly, it's one of the weaker ones we've talked about today Yeah, and it folds really easily into other decks that are doing the same thing better. So I don't think it's an enormous loss for the format. Yeah. Um, I actually just forgot about this until just now, but Volrath the Shape Stealer. Oh, yeah. Just very recently in C19, and uh, reasonably recently, that is something in very similar colors that uses minus one, minus one counters to a lot, like, cooler effect. So And, yeah, gets them down faster, gives you access to better color identity. There mm-hmm. you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, not not too much of a loss there. And then I think we're at our last commander for the day. Our last commander of the day is Rasputin Dreamweaver. They are a 4-1 human wizard. They enter the battlefield with seven dream counters on them. Uh, They have remove a dream counter from Rasputin, add colorless. Remove a dream counter from Rasputin, prevent the next one damage that would be dealt to Rasputin this turn. And at the beginning of your upkeep, if Rasputin started the turn untapped, put a dream counter on him. And he cannot have more than seven dream counters on him. He also costs six mana, so four white blue. Rasputin is currently pushing about 200 bucks. I think that's like market average. I'd have to go and actually look at like what, because mm-hmm. it's it's all super volatile right now. Pretty expensive commander and very unique. I think we've actually featured Rasputin on an episode of the podcast like a year or two back. So yeah, it is uh just like looking at the high synergy cards on the EDH rec page. Uh it's very it's it's odd to see like Ulamog the Infinite Gyre right next to <laughs> Essence Flux. Yeah. <laughs> like, like this is yep. the one deck that really wants both of those cards. Um so it as you said, it is unique. There's there's really not many things like this. Yeah, I don't think Eldrazi Displacer has a better friend than yeah. Rasputin Dream. Very true, very true. <laughs> Like, oh, wow, that's pretty good. (laughs) It is a white blue blink list, but also just like the fattest donks, just like Mm -hmm. the the biggest things you could possibly play 
I don't think like Blue Sun Zenith has ever been happier to be in a list before, you know, like <laughs> like it's just rides this line that other blue white decks can't uh because he's so unique, you know? Like there's just there are white blue blink decks, but they don't do what Rasputin's doing. Yeah, absolutely. So if Rasputin were to leave the format, do you think there's something that could easily take its place? Hmm, that's a really good question. I mean, as far as Blink goes, I think the answer is like obviously yes, you know. Like mm-hmm. there are a lot of blinky flicker commanders and they're in a few different colors at this point. And the number they... one Azorius commander, for example. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But as far as like cheat out big boys like in this color, I don't actually think that they're I think like the the closest thing I can like possibly think of is like Niambi, the like 2.0 where it's kind of like a white blue reanimator list so you're you're like kind of playing with the same creatures but not really like you like with Rasputin you're like abusing his trigger to spit out these like Eldrazi and like large artifacts and mm-hmm. expels and Emrakuls and void winnowers and whatever big thing might be there but Niambi like just plays way different you know like it's yeah a lot more of, of like a control deck yeah i was thinking maybe um to fairy temporal archmage as oh, like mm-hmm. another deck in a similar color identity that can realistically hard cast eldrazi um yeah but you do lose out on white and there the combo potential is different so it's it's definitely not like a perfect analog i think there are some people who like if rasputin were to leave the format would just have to like disassemble their deck and i think that is very sad Mm -hmm. there is one thing about this there's only 114 decks registered so again this comes with the caveat that this is a reserve list commander so the price like who knows how many rasputins would be running around in the world if he didn't cost 200 dollars but as much as I would feel sad with Rasputin not being there, I don't think most people would even realize <laughs> that he was gone, you know? Yeah, I agree. That's kind of it. That Those are the, the highlights for our for the commanders on the reserve list as far as like we're going to talk about today. Do you want to mention anything else about this or the next part? Because we're actually going to be doing this in two parts for you listeners listening right now. Yeah, uh, there's, there's one sort of section we're going to, touch on today kind of briefly uh, and then we're going to have a a guest on one of our patrons addison sage um, to discuss it in a bit more depth so this next section is about the non-legendary reserve list cards and despite the association that people often have between the reserve list and card power um, card scarcity and speculation have really suppressed the use of a lot of reserve list cards in commander Um, we often use about 10,000 decks on EDH rec as kind of our, our yardstick for determining whether a card is a format staple. But of the 544 reserve list cards legal in the format, uh, only a handful of them cross that mark, really only 15 cards. Uh, and even if we like sort of drop that threshold all the way down to 5,000 cards, there's only 23 reserve, non-legendary reserve list cards legal in Commander that are, are seeing that amount of play. Let's kind of go through those and talk about like, like what happens to the format when we lose these, these few highly played reserve list cards. 
I think the first thing is that the of, of like the the 15 cards that meet the 10,000 mark. The first one is just the dual lands. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people already exist in a world <laughs> where they don't have access to dual lands. So what would happen if the dual lands were banned? You would run shocks and fetches and insert your favorite mana fixing lands here. You know, like like some people like temples, some people don't. Some people like pain lands, some people don't. Some people like filter lands, some people don't. The I feel like the battle bond lands would go like way up in price because there there would be a demand for people who've been playing commander who are like, well, this is probably the next best thing. The pathways might go up a little bit, but I think we're already kind of living in this world <laughs> where dual lands are for most people kind of de facto banned just based on the fact that they can't afford them. They're not going to drop the few hundred dollars to to pick up some dual lands. Yeah. And, and sort of in the same way that we discussed the commanders, the most popular reserve list commanders through the lens of like whether there's an easy replacement or not. The dual lands are one of the most easily replaced cards there are. There's multiple cycles of lands with basic land types. And even if you, you don't want to go that route, there's just so many different options for fixing. I think the loss of the dual lands hurts enemy color identities a little bit more because they really, in terms of like, lands with basic land types their options are a lot fewer they have the tapped snow duels from Kaldheim and they have the shock lands and that's kind of it in terms of like options for fetching things out yeah but you know for the most part you're going to be able to get by pretty easily and most people have what's the next card on our list yeah so the next ones after the dual lands would be uh basically like fast mana so this is like grim monolith lion's eye diamond mox diamond and really what that does is it would make it so that like there's just less explosive starts i think it would cut down on some combos the format would just kind of i think go on to the next best thing i think we would see even more basalt monoliths than less i think we would see just kind of whatever mana rock or mana ramp we'd probably see more mana dorks if you're in the right colors like Mm -hmm. kind of the problem with these cards is that they can go in every deck you know so if i have a six mana commander uh grim monolith helps me get there pretty quickly (laughs) (laughs) so that's that's pretty good for me lion's eye diamond is obviously like a crazy combo card so i think you'd be killing some of those lists but i don't know how you feel about about these guys in particular again like you know it would be unfortunate for people who invested money in these cards to no longer be able to play with them but in terms of the effect on the format i would have to say it'd likely be positive yeah or at least the effect on casual commander would be positive it just Mm -hmm. creates less non-games when there there's no chance of somebody to go okay turn one uh mox diamond Grim Monolith, turn to cast my commander and an Armageddon, or you know. Yeah, exactly. I think there's one thing. So this was a debate that happened. I think it's the actual debate behind the Jeweled Lotus card. Like th- this is the actual meatiest thing you could talk about. That card is really there's two camps. There's two camps of people who are like the fast man is bad for the format because it creates non games. That's the camp that me and Nick are in, quite obviously. And then the other one was like, I don't think there's 
should never be fast mana again. Some people like the variance, they like the fast mana, they like the explosiveness. So I think like the debate comes down to should wizards print this fast mana cards? They are obviously have, and that's one of the reasons that Grim Monolith, Lion's Eye Diamond, Mox Diamond have the price tag that they have is because they did print them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they exist, they're in the world, and then they said, I'm not going to print them again. And yet, they're some of the best ways to do what they're doing. So I am of the opinion, like Nick said, that just games would be better if you didn't get blown out by someone's like Grim Monolith, Mox Diamond start. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But that's me. <laughs> that's that's just me. So, do you want to get into the the next most popular uh, cards? What would what would happen there? Sure. Um, we can just kind of do this by color, kind of, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So blue is gonna lose uh, Gilded Drake and Time Twister, mm-hmm. and Intuition, the, and Intuition. Um, so those are the most popular blue cards on the reserve list on EDH Rec. Um, like. There's not a great replacement for Gilded Drake. It's just extremely cheap way to disrupt someone's commander in a in a way that's hard to undo. Like you're forcing them to spend a kill spell on their own commander before they get to replace it. It's yeah. <laughs> just very awkward and painful and there's not a good replacement. Time Twister, despite being a member of the Power Nine, is somehow legal in commander. And <laughs> uh, as a result, it gives like a really big shot in the arm for wheel decks so that's just an important way to like make it so that you can refill your hand reshuffle your graveyard there's combo potential with it that's going to be tough to lose i I mean there's a couple good options yeah they printed some more recently yeah yeah, like windfall time reversal but they're just not on the same Mm -hmm. power level and and also like echo of eons was printed recently yeah that that gives you a little bit of the of the juice but not anywhere near the same <laughs> yeah and it also is worth mentioning that um although it didn't meet our our threshold um time spiral is also on the reserve list yeah. would be lost if the reserve list were to mm-hmm. go away so just like the wheels decks are losing a considerable amount of power and we'll we'll bring that up again when we get to red but intuition is also like one of the few blue relatively unconditional tutors yeah. uh, so and that's an unfortunate loss it can it can set up combos it can get like three different versions of the same effect um it's instant speed it's cheap it's a powerful option and mm, i don't know what i would really run instead like i'm i'm not in love with long-term plans certainly yeah i've definitely tried long-term plans and uh wasn't feeling it mm. <laughs> you know it uh works really well when you're already in a position to where you can capitalize on card selection not gonna jam my deck full of cards like that that are like oh this is really good when i'm already like doing pretty good Mm -hmm. when Um, i already have like a grip full of card draw yeah exactly yeah so i think there's one more blue card that i forgot to mention copy artifact copy artifact is basically a cheap clone for artifacts it's one blue i think just two mana just copies an artifact and clones an artifact and there's not really something that does that that cheaply yeah the next specs options are like phyrexian metamorph or yeah. sculpting steel but nothing at two yeah and, and it, i mean i've played with all of those cards very heavily and they're all pretty good so it would be like sad to lose that but it, i don't think it would put a wrench in anyone's plans in the same way that some of these other cards 
would yeah. if they were a gun. And green decks. Do you want to talk about green decks? Yeah, God, they would. I think they would really feel the pinch. So I guess we'll start with like the least impactful, which is Yavamaya Hollow. That's a legendary land, taps for a colorless. You can pay green and tap it to regenerate target creature. So that's just like very easy protection for your commander that doesn't take up a card slot, really. It just sits in your mana base until you need to use it. So that that would be a loss. There's there's no easy replacement for that one. But the next couple cards are just like backbreaking, really. Like yeah. <laughs> uh, Survival of the Fittest is the best repeatable tutor engine in the game. And losing out on that would really crimp green style. There's just so many lines yeah. that are only possible because of Survival of the Fittest. Like it's, you know, it can easily assemble two card creature based combos it can stock your graveyard if that's relevant. It's a discard outlet. Uh, it, and of course, it's just like allows you to easily get whatever silver bullet you need for the situation. The closest thing is Fauna Shaman, which is like slower, more vulnerable. You can only activate it once per turn. Your opponents see it coming a mile away. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's comparable, but it's, it's not really comparable. Yeah, exactly. Finally, like... Uh, <laughs> This is the big one. Yeah. <laughs> Stop me if this is hyperbole, but Gaia's Cradle may be the most powerful land legal in the format. Oh, no, I, I 100% agree with that. At, at the very least, in casual circles, I think that's yeah. true. Um, and it's, it, I mean, it's your green decks are going to be creature-based. Like, you're likely relying a lot on, on mana dorks or just, like, small value creatures because green has so many of those. And Gaia's Cradle just taps for enormous amounts of mana every time. Your green is also a color identity that is the best at tutoring outlands. So you can see it really reliably. It's not just one card in your 99. If you're running crop rotation, if you're running expedition map, if you're running Sylvan Scrying, you can make it so that Gaia's Cradle like is the backbone of your deck without much difficulty. In comparison, the, the closest thing would be... Um, cradle of oh, it lock yeah oh yeah basically the the two in a green for an enchantment the the flip enchantment from ixalan uh that when you have four more creatures the beginning of your end step you can flip it and it basically becomes a guy's cradle but the thing is like it's so much harder to tutor out an enchantment in a green deck than it is to tutor out a land it has this condition where it's you're not going to be able to use it during the main phase of the turn you get it it's just like not nearly as good in so many ways. And yeah. gosh, without Gaia's cradle, like, I mean, green's still going to be very good, but it's losing one of its best tools if the reserve list were to be banned. Yeah. I've actually done something recently. Like, I had, I have some decks with Gaia's cradles in them. And I recently went through and I was like, well, some of these decks like really lean on this card. And I was like really trying to push it so that what if this wasn't legal? What if I had to not have this card in the deck? Could it still work properly? And like try to really make an effort to like slow it down, <laughs> like tone it down, <laughs> make sure that that I didn't rely as heavily on that card because it's also really unfun these days when someone is like, oh, guys, cradle this thing. I win. And you're like, oh, OK, I guess I don't get to play. <laughs> The game because you ended up with like massive amounts of mana way before I did. Mm -hmm. If you want to move on to the last couple colors here, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. 
Okay. Uh, what does Black lose? Yeah, so Black loses two pretty strong recursion engines. So the first one is Yagmoth's Will. So Yagmoth's Will, Sorcery, two and a Black. Uh, you can cast things out of your graveyard till the end of turn. Um, and if they would be put in your graveyard, you exile them. Just very good. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just a very good card. And uh, Volrath's Stronghold, uh, which is a land, it taps for colorless and it has one black tap, uh, put a creature from your grave on top of your library. I think both of these are just like classic commander cards. Like I've seen these since I knew about the format. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like like both of these cards have been in black decks as long as I've been playing commander. And yeah, I think the format would hurt with them gone. Yeah, I've been certainly uh, tapped my fair share of Volrath Strongholds. Yeah. Um, like the easy creature recursion is tough to lose i mean really it just like turns your graveyard into a toolbox whereas before it was just kind of inert and it's it's so easy to fit this into your deck because it's a land so losing out on that would be challenging for sure but i also want to go to the the sole red card on this list yep can you guess listeners at home Yeah, um, it is Wheel of Fortune. So the namesake of the wheels archetype uh, is on the reserve list and would be banished along with the rest of the reserve list cards. And that's not only like does it hurt the wheels archetype, but it really, really hurts red. Like red has still very few ways to refill its hand. Like Wheel of Misfortune, that was a nice add. Reforge the Soul, great card, love it. Mm-hmm. But beyond that it gets pretty thin and when you're trying to fill out a 99 card deck uh you need every option you can get wheel of misfortune kind of almost gets there it gets close enough to that i'm gonna play it too (laughs) but it's just um yeah it's an effect that players really like and i think they realize that and they're trying to give people these things yeah it would hurt i think it would hurt pretty bad yeah so we've sort of gone over the ways that that casual commander would be impacted by the loss of the reserve list. Do you think it would destabilize the balance of the format? Like, like how wide ranging do you think these effects would be? Um, that is a really good question. I think that's kind of the, the big question, the main question of this, these two episodes. In my heart, I would want to say that it would not completely destabilize commander. I think there would definitely be shockwaves. There'd be ripples. There'd be people who are upset. There'd be people who maybe like lost out on money or things like that. But I think games would go on. Kind of like I said earlier, a lot of these cards are kind of de facto banned in a lot of playgroups because they can't afford a $200 Rasputin or a $900 like Wheel of Fortune. You know, like it, it just isn't feasible for people um i think survival the fittest is like a hundred dollars or something now like oh no 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 when is it way more when i uh when i bought it a couple years ago it was a hundred dollars oh really yeah it's gnarly now oh no (laughs) (laughs) man i um yeah it's a it's a pushing three (laughs) hundred dollars so they i mean that just further pushes the point that like it just these a lot of these cards are just not even obtainable for a lot of people like right now for the people that have these cards that would and a lot of those people are people who like evangelize the format a lot of these cards are owned by people who 
uh, have played magic for a long time or who like really love magic and they have fond memories with these cards so i think that would be the biggest hit i think the emotional toll of losing these cards would be more dangerous to commander than the actual gameplay ramifications of losing these cards because i think if you had a level head about it if there were no emotional attachments everyone went oh okay this card's banned and then they flip their deck around i think people would still have a good time i think games would would probably be better <laughs> with some of these cards not in the format mm-hmm. i know that's that's sacrilegious to say but the way that the rules committee has like stewarded the format is play with your favorite cards that's what they they say that's what they are kind of pushing for their whole supposed thought process is like we know every card is someone's favorite so we want you to play with it i think that's debatable (laughs) some some aspects speaking of of maybe wishes or Mm -hmm. um, some cards on the ban list right now that really really don't need to be but that's for a different episode i do think that their stated goal of like every card is someone's favorite we should let them play with it um is that it means that what we're talking about this episode is never going to come to pass yeah but if something like that did i think that the gameplay ramifications would be good and the player reaction would be negative not only just because of money just because i think there's a lot of nostalgia in a lot of these cards yeah, I will say that I think that casual commander players are pragmatic. You can sort of see that in the way that most of the reserve list cards uh, have not seen high adoption rates recently on EDH rec. I think a lot of the time, if the reserve list were to be banned, players would just go for the next best cards once the reserve list is priced out of their reach, mm-hmm. is banned actually out of their reach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, I just really think that in a lot of ways, the format has already moved past the reserve list. None of the commanders we mentioned are in the top 100 commanders. I don't think they're in the top 200 commanders. It's it's just they're pretty far down in the rankings. And of the 500 plus non-legendary cards that are legal in commander that are on the reserve list, we can only find a handful that are seeing large, large numbers right now. Yeah. So I think that most people have just kind of accepted that they're not going to play with reserveless cards. Like I certainly, when I build decks for the show, I used to put in Wheel of Fortune when it was like forty dollars, and now I don't uh, because it's just, uh, you know, I I see that this one card like doubles the price of the deck. Like, okay, maybe not. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I I definitely have been taking that into consideration to like, oh well. If I'm going to post something online or recommend something to someone, I try to steer it away from these options unless it's like a friend who I know has it or something like that. Because I think it's just too big of an ask for most normal humans <laughs> yeah. to be like, oh, you know, it'll be really good in your deck. A Yagmos will, because the answer <laughs> is probably yes, probably will be really good in the deck, but also like. Do you really want to make them spend the hundreds yeah. of dollars? But also, like, you're not really being helpful right now. Yeah, exactly. It's just not helping anyone. And and I do kind of to double your point. I know a lot of people who have resigned themselves to like, I'm never going to own a guy's cradle. I'm never going to yeah. be able to play with this. So they did purchase like cradle of Itlamox and things like that. You know, like they just instinctively go to the next best thing because that. What else are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> Not going to spend (laughs) $1,000. Yeah. Well, speaking of of what else are you going to do, 
there is one corner of the commander community that isn't willing to sort of accept the next best substitute and that actually has a, a pretty open that tends to have an open mind about proxying cards uh, and of course i'm talking about cedh so whereas most of casual commander is kind of like for the most part eschewed the reserve list and gone with more affordable options cedh can't really do that it's it's not in the spirit of of that format so in our next episode, we're going to be bringing on Addison Sage, a patron and, and friend of ours, and he's going to be talking about how the loss of the reserve list cards would affect CEDH, where mm-hmm. you can't really substitute things easily. So keep an eye out for that. And do you have any last thoughts on the reserve list in Commander before we sign off for today? Just I, I just want to reiterate that this is not something that we're actively advocating for. This is definitely a thought experiment. This is an effect that I think Nick saw or a patron saw or something like that. And we noticed there's like a lot of meat and a lot of like interesting discussion to be had about it and like where the reserve list sits right now. So we I just want to reiterate that we are we're not advocating <laughs> for this right now at this time. This is just a cool thought experiment, and it, I think, gives us like a good view of the format in regards to reserveless cards, old cards, where we're sitting right now, you know, as just a community, a commander community. So that's kind of the point of this episode, and we hope that you enjoyed it. Yes, definitely. I'll co-sign that. We're not <laughs> advocating for this. We wanted to add some, some data to the discussions that go on about the reserve list. I think it is worth noting that so few of these cards are are really seeing play in casual commander <laughs> that's I, I think something for policymakers to consider but yeah <laughs> we're just going to leave it at that exactly um, and we'll we'll get into more juicy tidbits in our next episode but thank you all for listening i want to give a brief shout out to our patreon patrons they are Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Eamon, Addison, Mason, Rick, Laser, Raphael, Charlotte, The White Clays, Hannah, Anthony, Andy, Dylan, James, Justin, Logan, Roger, Evan, Bryce, Dylan, Benjamin, Jamie, Matthew, Jason, Kyle, Brandon, Kaidel, Jeremy, Russell, Troy, Dylan, Walter, Leo, Ian, John, John, Tom, Kevin, Roxanne, and Brian. Thank you all for supporting the show. And if you're not currently a Patreon patron but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr, and Zach is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check him out on SoundCloud. Until next time, we're going back to the drawing board.